This is Greg Lazinski, and you're listening to Baseball BBQ. Hi, this is Gary Mack of the Mets Musings Podcast, and you're listening to Jeff and Len on Baseball and Barbecue, one of my favorite podcasts, and I know it's one of yours, too. The only problem is, after I get done listening to it, I'm hungry. All right, guys, take it away. Sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and welcome to episode number 32 of Baseball and BBQ. 32. Who would have thought? Who would have thunk it? I am Len Aberman, and you are. I am Jeff Cohen, and Len, this is going to be a great episode. You know why? Um, we are recording this on April 14th. Wow. That means April 15th. Everybody tax says day, tax day, right. but that's not what we're talking about no, today. No, we're not. We're talking about Jackie Robinson Day. Jackie Robinson Day, the day that every player in the major leagues wears number 42. That's right. And a couple of weeks ago, we went to the Museum of the City of New York, where they have a Jackie Robinson exhibit. Very nice. For those of you who are going to go, it's very small, because it's really in anticipation of opening of the larger Jackie Robinson exhibit museum. Right, the that's, museum. That's going to be opened downtown Manhattan as a permanent place. Yeah. I mean, there. yeah, it was smaller than, than we expected, but there were definitely photos and information that uh, was very interesting. So if you happen to be in the area, I would definitely recommend it. Oh, absolutely, right? yes. And we did speak to a couple people who actually saw uh, Jackie Robinson play. Yes. Yeah, what... Yeah, we're gonna play the we're gonna play the interview f- for you. We have what one or two? Uh, we have a, two at least. Two. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So we're gonna play those for you. Then we're gonna also we still have uh, interviews from when we went to Atlantic City for the Barbecue Expo. Well, we'll be going on the road a lot. Yeah, we're racking up the miles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Too bad mile points means nothing for us. <laughs> but let's let's get started. With Jackie Robinson. Okay, but first, I want to remind everybody, please give us a call, leave a right. voicemail. Our voicemail number is 516-855-8214. You can email us, baseballandbbq at gmail.com, and you can leave a comment on our Facebook page. And what else? We have a website, don't we? Yes, it's called it's uh, baseballandbbq.weebly.com. And with that... We'll get to the interviews. Jackie Robinson, 19, born in 1919, died in 1972. Jack Roosevelt Robinson was born in Cairo, Georgia, on January 31, 1919, the youngest of five children in a family of sharecroppers. Robinson's father left the family in 1920, and his mother, Mally, moved them to Pasadena, California. Their mother called their house on Pepper Street, the outskirts of heaven, as Robinson later recalled in Look Magazine. The family lived on the money Mally made as a domestic worker, and in Jackie's words, we never had much to eat except for day-old bread that we dunked in sugar and milk. Jackie grew up surrounded by all colors and creeds in the Pepper Street Gang and admired his athletic older brother Mac, a silver medalist in the 1936 Olympics. In 1939, Jackie enrolled in the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA, where he met his future wife, Rachel Isham and became the school's first athlete to letter in four sports, baseball, basketball, football, and track. In 1942, he was drafted into the Army, where he became one of the first African Americans accepted into the Officer Candidate School. His military career was cut short by an, inc- by an incident on an Army bus. Robinson refused to move to the back of the bus, and he was nearly court-martialed for insubordination. He was ultimately honorably discharged in 1944 without seeing combat. Robinson was playing for the Negro League Kansas City Monarchs when he was scattered by Clyde Sukaforth for the Dodgers on April 15, 1947. He became the first African American to take the field in Major League Baseball. Robinson excelled throughout his baseball career. He was awarded the sports first Rookie of the Year award in 1947, the National League Most Valuable Player award in 1949, and was an All-Star six times. He had a 311 career batting average, scored more than 100 runs in six of his 10 seasons, and stole 197 bases, including 19 steals of home. 
After Robinson retired from baseball in 1957, he became the first black vice president of a major American corporation, vice president of personnel relations at Chockfuller Nuts. He also became a civil rights leader serving on the board of the NAACP until 1967. In 1960, he helped found the African-American-owned Freedom National Bank. In 1962, he became the first African-American inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And in 1965, he became the nation's first black television sports analyst. Jackie Robinson died of a heart attack on October 24, 1972 at age 53. He was posthumously awarded the Congressional Medal, Gold Medal and the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And on April 15, 1997, Jackie uniform number 42 was retired throughout Major League Baseball. Today, April 15th, is Jackie Robinson Day in Major League Baseball, and the players throughout the country wear number 42 in Robinson's honor. So I wanted to, as we're reading this, so a couple of thoughts came to my mind, right? Okay, first of all, y- you, when you see an exhibit like this and, and you see what he went through and being the first African-American ball player the adversity that he had to deal with and and the times how terrible they were it it, it makes you sad so as a pessimist you're like oh this is really crappy but as an optimist you could look at this and say he overcame so much and look at how far we've come we have a lot more to overcome but as you see this you feel sad and at the same time you feel happy that he was able to overcome this and just what a great not only player he was, but American he was, mm-hmm. and, and it's just, I, my heart Absolutely. Feels. He opened the doors for a lot of freedoms that we have today, not just for African Americans, but for all people. Yeah. And he, uh, he was truly an American hero. And we're still at the beginning of the exhibit. I mean, we've only, there, this exhibit is divided into kind of walls, and we're at the first wall of the exhibit, so we'll keep you posted as we go along. All right, you're listening to these to these interviews, and you hear these bells ringing. If you guys are a fan of "It's a Wonderful Life," you know there's a line in that movie that where they say every time a bell rings, an angel gets their wings. There were a lot of bells ringing. A lot of angels supposed to been getting their wings. That's right. They, they actually had a, a bicycle exhibit there, which is right next door to the the, uh, the Jackie Robinson exhibit. So yeah, it's uh, a lot of bells ringing. Right. They so yeah they they had a whole thing about um about bicycles in New York and the history of bicycling, and they had a few bicycles set up and you could ride them and you see a screen and it shows you your progress and of course i don 't know why, but they had to have bells on oh, on course. the bicycle oh, you know, the and, kids love the bells <laughs> right, and so that is what you hear so we we apologize for the bells, but Ignore the bells and uh, enjoy the interviews. Right. And this interview is with a person named David Lipman. Yeah, my name is Dave Lipman. Um, by day, I'm a pub- senior press information officer for the city of Newark, New Jersey. Uh, the rest of the time, I'm a fourth-generation New Yorker and uh, a third-generation Yankees and San Francisco Giants fan and a member of Sabre, Society of American Baseball Research. I'm on the biographical uh, committee. And my Jackie Robinson story is this, is that when my grandfather had a heart attack in early 1973 when they announced they were closing the 3rd Avenue well in the Bronx, so he had to go to the hospital, and logically he was there in the hospital, um, Mount Mount Lebanon Hospital, which looked over 3rd Avenue, Avenue on the day the line closed. So he's sitting there in the hospital fuming over... Uh, the elevated line being closed, and we all went to see him and to take his mind off of things we uh, started chatting about baseball. And I was curious, I I wanted to know what Grandpa thought about Jackie Robinson being a Giants fan and a Yankee fan and a Jewish pharmacist from the Lower East Side. And Grandpa had an interesting take. He said that after World War II, with all the horrific things that had happened and the changes that were taking place in society, he knew that there were going to be black guys in Major League Baseball. And he'd seen plenty. He'd seen them at Dykeman Oval, Yankee Stadium, Polo Grounds, Negro National Leagues. And it was just a question of who. And for his money, it was going to be Monty Irvin, who was basically your five-tool player, run, hit, hit, uh, hit with power, 
and field and throw. But he was very surprised when they said it was Jackie Robinson because Grandpa had heard that Jackie Rob of Jackie Robinson is being the football star at UCLA winning the Rose Bowl. It's like, who? What's this guy doing in, in going to the major leagues? You know, he's a football player. He's a football star. He's not, you're not, what's he going to do? Throw a running tackle at the pitcher on, you know, hurl a forward pass from right field? It's ridiculous. You know, should be Monty Irvin. And then it, it got worse when it was, oh, the Dodgers have signed him, and Grandpa's saying, oh, are you kidding me? You know, I mean, the Giants, we, we can't buy a win. In 1947, they had 220 home run, one home runs to lead the league, but they finished below 500 because they couldn't run, they couldn't pitch, and the Yankees were having trouble from 44 to 46, so he was very annoyed that a team that is to this day the mortal enemies of Yankee and Giants fans was getting the first African-American players. So Grandpa said, oh, this is just great. This is all I needed to hear. So, of course, he's listen- he listens to Jackie play, you know, Red Barber broadcasting him, Russ Hodges for the Giants and so on, and sees him in action at the Polo Grounds and then on TV. And Grandpa's reaction was, holy cow, this guy can play, you know, this guy's just a monumental annoyance because he really was an excellent ball player. You know, he's running the Yankees in the in the World Series out of games and, you know, stealing home and running the Giants out of games in the regular season. So, you know, Grandpa regarded him as, you know, a major annoyance as a ball player and essentially not much more because he just happened to be the guy. So it was interesting to me, I only realized later in life, because at that time I was like 13 years old when I got hold of Jackie's autobiography, which is called I Never Had It Made, as you certainly know. And one of the things about his complaints in the book is that he often felt that he couldn't just be seen as just another ball player. In you know, He was remembered more as being the pioneer rather than just another ball player. And I read this and I said, geez, I wish he could have met Grandpa because Grandpa would have, would have just said to him, oh yeah, you're just another ball player who happened to be the first guy of the African-American ethnic group to make it into the major leagues. And fortunately for Grandpa, Monty Irvin did make it and Monty did get to the hall. But to Grandpa, Jackie was just a hell of a ball player who happened to be the first black guy to get into the majors. Lynn, there's a quote on the wall here. What does it say? In 1972, Robinson wrote that he considered 1949 to be a banner year. Now, this is not the quote yet, but this is leading up to it. Both because he was named Most Valuable Player and because he signed a 1950 contract for 35000 And then he said, which in those days was a very good paycheck. But here's that's, not, the, that's not the quote either. No, the, quote, <laughs> the quote that I wanted to, that I thought was very good was Arthur Daly of the New York Times wrote, He didn't win the MVP honor because he is a Negro or in spite of the fact that he is a Negro. He won it because he was the most valuable player in the National League. And don't let any professional rabble-rouser try to tell you differently. That's, I love that. That's a great quote. Yeah. We, uh, sir, can you introduce ourselves for our, yourself for our listeners? Uh, my name is Don Goldman. I grew up in the early 50s. Went to Ebbets Field many times, mm-hmm. 24 games in 1956, a lot of doubleheaders on Sunday with my uncle. Doubleheader? What's that? <laughs> Game started at 1.30, uh-huh. and in those days they play two games on Sundays. Right. For the price of one, right? That's right, and we used to get uh, $2.50 uh, reserve box seats between home and first overlooking Ebbets Field, which is, was a small ballpark. And I'm looking at the scoreboard here, and I remember all the numbers. Um, and this is probably the very early 50s, because number 22 was Andy Pafko. Okay, I heard him. And Reese was number one. Snyder, Robinson, Hodges. And Pro- Campanella was number 39, and Billy Cox was number 3. So this had to be like between 1950 and 1952. 
and you've seen Jackie Robinson play. I saw him dance off the bases and drive the pitchers crazy. Um, he was the most exciting baseball player for me as a child. Tell about your family. My brother, seven years older, went to the last game again for Montreal and the Dodgers exhibition in 1947 before Robinson's debut the next day. My aunts and uncles in 1946 picketed Ebbets Field to bring Robinson up. They were involved in very progressive activist Mm -hmm. policies with civil rights. I know someone who won a contest writing about Pee Wee Reese and got free tickets for the first baseball game Robinson played at Ebbets Field. Oh, wow. However, his principal was very strict. He was afraid to go to the principal because he didn't miss school days in those days. His dad said, you never know. You try. He went. The principal said, you have a good record. And it's a tough game because... Johnny Sane is pitching for the Boston Braves. And I want you to go to the game and find out, see the crowd's reaction to Robinson, and write an essay about your feelings about it. Okay. Wow. First game, Jack Robinson. That's, uh, wow. So it's amazing. You have a very strict principal who the kids are afraid of, and sports moves everyone together. Sure, sure. That uh, essay must be... Uh, I'd like to read that essay. <laughs> you know? I don't think he has it. He doesn't have it because in Brooklyn in those days when you had like a, a home, there was a basement with a lot of stuff. Sure. His father threw everything out when uh, they moved. He didn't have it, but he recently wrote an essay for the new school. Okay. Tell us also about, back then, it was very different with, with the sports teams. The baseball in Brooklyn, it was, there was a different feeling with the teams, right? It was, they were like part of your family almost, right? Yes. When I was a little boy, I sat in the living room, and we had a TV in 1950, a black and white uh, Dumont, and I'd watch the game on TV if it was the Yankees I'd have the sound off Uh and one radio over here would have WMGM the Brooklyn Dodgers and on the other side would be the New York Giants (laughs) and it would be WMCA wow wow I thought I thought my grandfather when he was alive he had three or four TVs going next to him (laughs) (laughs) in his basement but you know you've seen Jackie Robinson play yes Obviously, one of the greatest players who ever played the game. But how impressed were you among the whole, you know, how, how big of an impression did he give on you? It was just super exciting. He could hit, he could run, he could field. And the way he went back and forth, back and forth, dancing off the bases. One time, he was on first base, and Sad Sam Jones was pitching for the Cubs. He stole second base, stole third base. He kept dancing back and forth, and he stole home. Robinson was the first, but the Dodgers quickly had Don Newcomb, Roy Campanella, and a pitcher named Dan Bankhead, who came before them, but he did not play as well. I think he had a sore arm. His relationship with Pee Wee Reese was unbelievable. Reese was from Louisville, Kentucky. Right. Borderline Southern State. Mm-hmm. One time in Cincinnati, they were booing Robinson. Reese was playing short. Robinson was playing second. Reese went over and put his arm around Robinson. Mm-hmm. Didn't say a word. Right. Went back to play shortstop. The Robinson family adores Pee Wee Reese. Sure. They they adore Branch Rickey, and they still have a contact, close contact with Branch Rickey's grandson. Nice, nice. 
I also understand that the Robinsons and Gil Hodges' family are very, very tight as well. Yes. Gil Hodges' family, Gil Hodges was from Indiana, and he married a Brooklyn Italian girl named Lombardi. And they lived in Brooklyn on Bedford Avenue and Avenue M. And a lot of the Brooklyn players lived in Brooklyn, near the ballpark. They also had second jobs because starting salary when I was a little boy was $6,000 a year. I think Duke Snyder at the height made 40000 So Robinson was close with the other players, not all of them. Hodges, Campanella was mixed. Campanella came from multiracial family. Italian African American, yeah. Italian father, black mother. Robinson thought Campanella wasn't assertive enough related to civil rights. And Campanella thought Robinson was too aggressive. Carl Erskine. I spoke to Carl Erskine several years ago at the uh, Brooklyn Cyclone game. Erskine's still alive. He's thinking to be 92 this year. Newcomb just recently passed. And Erskine raised with his wife a child who had a strong handicap, Junior Olympics. And the son is still alive today, which is amazing. And Erskine and Robinson were close. But there were players. Dixie Walker, when he first came up from the South, found out Robinson was a great competitor, but he couldn't handle it. Leo DeRocha had, when he was Brooklyn Dodger manager, traded some of the racists to say, Robinson's here to stay. I don't care whether he's black, yellow, blue. He's a ball player. He's going to help us win. So it was an amazing era. The three teams. You didn't like all three teams. No, no, you couldn't. (laughs) You loved one and you hated the other two. (laughs) Nowadays, it's not as strong. It's true. With the Yankees and the Mets. There are some, but it's not as strong. Many people root for both teams. You didn't do that back then. And, And Brooklyn was an amazing city or town because people have said... Because of the mixture of religions as well as races, this was the right place for Robinson to be. Right, right. As opposed to Philadelphia, St. Louis, which wasn't like that. You didn't have California then. Sure, right, right. West was Cincinnati, St. Louis, Chicago. Right. I heard that, uh, I read where Hodges and, 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 and Robinson. Very, very close. Their families got together a lot. In fact, Mrs. Hodges is still alive. Lombardi, yes. Right, yes. She's still uh, with us. uh, Gil Gil Hodges was a Marine. Right. Gil Hodges didn't say many words. Gil Hodges was very ethical. He'd go by the rules. Uh When he managed the Mets, if you didn't play the game right, you weren't playing that day. Uh Once he went out to Cleon Jones in left field, Mm -hmm. Cleon Jones didn't run hard after the ball. Hodges walked out there, he's a big guy, Uh put his arm around Jones and led him back to the dugout. Right. Interesting little tidbit, which I I just read this in a new book, After the Miracle, by Archamsky. Cleon Jones was actually a little hurt on that, and uh, and the... (laughs) The field was very wet. Okay. And so he told, Cleon told Gil Hodges, look down, he his feet is, is you know, in, in water. So they walk up the field. Later on that night when Mrs. Hodges talks to Gil, she asks him, why did you go out there and embarrass him like that? And Gil said, honestly, once I passed the pitcher's mound, I couldn't turn back. I didn't know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's the Marine. Yes. And one time, Don Drysdale was pitching. In maybe around 55. And Don Drysdale was known to throw baseballs inside mm-hmm. against batters. And the Milwaukee Brave batter came out to the pitcher. And Hodges came over from first base. I think lifted Johnny Logan bodily, the shortstop, carried him back. And Logan didn't fight. Wow. 
Hodges was not a man of many words. No, he was not. But, again, totally ethical, per, and he should be in the Hall of Fame, which is a yes. big issue. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Oh, yes. You have a ball and a, an autograph, right? 1956. I have a ball with Robinson's autograph. The nice. whole team. Nice. And I can remember most of the numbers. Like over there, Jake Pitt was the first base coach mm-hmm. in the early 50s. He's number 31, and 31 is on his back. Right. Wow. Well, when his mother had dementia, he would say one. Pee Wee, and she'd say Reese in her 90s. Uh Wow. (laughs) I I had an aunt who would get so nervous she'd go to the bathroom and flush the toilet bowl Uh during a a Brooklyn Dodger game. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Well, you have been a pleasure. Thank you very much for uh, <laughs> oh, speaking to yes, us. Yes, thank you. And uh, amazing stories, and I'm he, so happy. He and, knows them. Oh. He knows them. And you are? Cheryl. Cheryl. My, wife. My wife. You know what? I have one story that um, one time I was on the subway, and I'm talking to this very short black man, and it turns out that he was the, um, he was the best man at, at Jackie Robinson's uh, wedding, that really? they had wow. gone to school together in California, at uh-huh. community college or something. And he said, I was called Little Jack, and he was called Big Jack. We never called him Jackie, uh-huh. you know. Wow. And, um, you know, he told how um, Jackie Robinson had him come out from California to come to, to, to come to New York. And so I wanted to invite him over for dinner because I knew Don would just go out of his mind. But unfortunately, I had to get off the subway before uh-huh. I could uh-huh. extend uh-huh. the invitation. Still, what a, what a, you never know who you're going to meet on the subway, I right? know. Uh-huh. <laughs> we all- we also met Sharon Robinson uh-huh. at Brooklyn Day that they used to have. They may still have it around Grand Army Plaza. Uh-huh. And it would celebrate Brooklyn Day, and there'd be some Brooklyn Dodgers there. Right. And Sharon Robinson was there, and she talked about being like six years old um, when Robinson retired, her father. And she didn't remember a lot of the baseball and she had written ch- children's books, and she's in charge of the foundation now yes. since yeah. Rachel's about 95 years old. Well, we met her when her book, Stealing Home, just came out. Mm-hmm. That's so Sharon's very uh, instrumental in the Jackie Robinson Museum, which will be opening up in December oh. downtown in, uh, near uh, oh, Holland Tunnel. about that. Yes. Yeah. Oh, actually, I went past it, and it has the pictures yes. of it yes. on the outside. Yeah. And the son, David... Who is the baby? Um, he must be 52, 67 years old. He has a huge coffee plantation in Tanzania, mm-hmm. in Africa. Is he still? Wow. I think yeah. he's still there. Uh-huh. And he's done very well, but he took a very separate path right. from family. But they're very close. Yeah. Right. And it's a tragedy that Jack Jr. didn't live a full life. Oh, right. He, he passed away early? Uh, yeah. uh, he, he was in a car accident and died. Oh, oh, yep. Are you involved in the museum? No, no. Oh. We, we, we're doing interviews for a podcast yeah. that, uh, that we have. It's uh, you know, baseball and baseball history, and, oh, and we're fascinated yeah. by all we this. We love it. We love oh, it. Oh, well, yeah. he's the person to talk to, I'll tell well, you. Oh, that you have one? We'll give yeah. you one. Oh, okay. All record. right. Yeah, please tell people about us. And, uh, we, well, he knows a lot of people who love baseball. We, we love it. We, we, um, you never know what you're going to get from episode to episode. Yeah. Right. We're going to be interviewing. Uh, we've interviewed people. We interviewed uh, Jerry Amernick, who wrote a book on Babe Ruth. We interviewed... Um, Greg Luzinski. Right, Greg, uh, Greg Luzinski, the former Phillies. Philadelphia Philly. We went to Philadelphia. They treated us to the game. and we, he, he has a place <laughs> there called Bull's Barbecue. So we we talked to him about baseball because he played with you know he he was a five time All Star, uh, won the World Series in 1980, played with Mike Schmidt. I mean he really yeah. and 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 runs Bulls Barbecue. Right. That's, how long have you been doing this? Oh, a, little a little over a year. year. Oh, wow. I have a quick story. Uh, my 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 father, he uh, grew up in Brooklyn. What He's area? Bob, uh, you know what? I'm not really sure. Oh, actually, yeah. Uh, and they actually had a pregame show before the Dodgers called the Happy Felton oh, Mackle Gang. Yes. So <laughs> my, my, my father was apparently, uh, he was very big in the Little League, and he was chosen to be on the show. And I'm 57 years old. My, my father told me this like five years ago, yeah. and I know him 50 years. Yeah. Anyway, so he goes on the show, and he's having a catch with Gil Hodges. 
And I go, Dad, I've been your son 50 years. Now you're telling me this? <laughs> <laughs> what happens in Happy Felton's Not Hole Gang, they'd have one Dodger player come and throw the ball to three youngsters. Yeah, when with my father, yeah. And then they choose the one who they thought was the best. Uh-huh. And then I think that person would get tickets or would get... And Happy Felton was a very robust, heavy-set man, very jovial. Uh-huh. And they do it in front of the right field uh, scoreboard because I think that that's where... Um, the relief pitchers would warm up. Uh-huh. They'd warm up, not behind a fence. Right. They, could, they could get hit with a line drive wow. in their head. I, you know what? I never knew that. I thought they had on a side of them. Wow. It's in foul territory, uh-huh. but Ebbets Field was pretty close. Uh-huh. So they used that right before. And Happy Felton had a show afterwards, uh-huh. a call-in show with questions. <laughs> and the New York Giants had Lorraine Day, who was DeRoche's wife. Mm-hmm. On, on a talk show and the Dodgers announces Vince Scully was young. Yeah, he was young. He, he was, was in 22, 23 he was years a, old. He was in his early 20s yeah. and he became, to me, the best announcer in the history of oh, baseball absolutely. because he had a connection with the English language, baseball, a presence where you didn't know who he was rooting for. Right, right. And nowadays, you turn it on, you know who they're rooting oh, for. Sure. They're, they're homers. Yeah. Yeah. And Scully had that. Uh, Mel Allen didn't have that. Red Barber had it. But, but Scully was even more with words than Red Barber. I mean, it was an amazing era. One last question sure. before you go. What about Ralph Branca and his relationship with Jackie? Ralph Branca had an excellent relationship with Jackie Robinson. Ralph Branca was one of the players in 1947 who took Robinson under his wing. Branca always thought, I think, he was Italian, Catholic. Branca found out near the end of his life that his mother's family was Jewish from the Holocaust. Branca was strong enough to feel comfortable with Robinson but more importantly, living with the home run he gave up to Bobby Thompson in 1951. Mm-hmm. Branca cried to the priest, why me, why me? priest said, because you're strong enough. And it turned out to be true because in the last 20 years, he helped Bobby Thompson, who was not doing well financially. Branca was doing well financially in insurance and got the two of them to go around, talk about the 1951 and sign stuff so Thompson could get some remuneration that way. For me, in 1951, I hated Ralph Branca because he gave up the home run. But as I hear his story, it becomes different. Don Newcomb, the same thing. Don Newcomb in the World Series couldn't get Yogi Berra out. You must talk to a lot of people who have these stories, and right? Fantastic. I mean, no, believe me, we, I can go on right. for hours and hours. It's just fantastic. And, and, and Newcomb was an alcoholic. And the, amaz- the amazing story is that Newcomb became community director for the Los Angeles Dodgers. It had to be for 30, 40, 50 years. O'Malley took him under his wing, and O'Malley's son took him under his wing. And Newcomb helped save the lives of former Dodgers. Maury Wills was an alcoholic. Really? Okay. He swears his life upon Don Newcomb. Mm -hmm. And Newcomb recently died, I think, at 91 or 92. And Newcomb helped a lot of African-American pitchers Mm -hmm. because there weren't that many African-American pitchers as as opposed to um, regular ballplayers, infield, outfield, catcher. And Newcomb wasn't called up first because Ricky was looking for an assertive person who didn't smoke or drink. Okay, and Jackie was And Newcomb did not. In fact, the best African-American baseball player was a catcher named, I think, Gibson. But he was an alcoholic. Mm. And that's why he, much better hitter than Jackie Robinson. Right, no, right. 
uh, Jackie was the right person at the right time. You uh, got you got it. Right. Well, thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you. Appreciate thank it. You very much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so we heard from a couple of people from uh, the exhibit, which I hope you thought was interesting. It was nice to get someone who actually saw him play. Absolutely, saw, saw uh, Jackie Robinson play. Yeah. And for anybody who wants to know, the city, the Museum of the City of New York is located at 1225th Avenue in New York City, and they have a donation policy, so they don't have a set admission price. So it's suggested donation, but you can give actually whatever you want to go into the museum. Right. So, but and if you're in, in the New York area, please uh, go go see them. And the Jackie Robinson Actual Museum will be opening in December. And Len and I are hoping to do a a road trip down there as well. Right, another road trip. And you know, it's funny to see all these things that were in this exhibit, and they were all courtesy of the Jackie Robinson Museum, which hasn't been open yet. So we saw all these items, which will be in the Jackie Robinson Museum. Correct. Plus a lot more. Absolutely. Because aren't they, it's going to be a whole building. Oh, yeah. It's a big big building down by the Holland Tunnel. And it's going to be, it's a permanent structure. It's going to be there, you know, forever. Right. What's and next, Jeff? What's next? We have a couple of uh, interviews that we need to finish up from our barbecue expo that we went to. And actually, while we're recording this, right outside we've got, I'm, I'm smoking a couple of pastrami's, right? Yeah. Making some pastrami. So uh, are we going to put something up on our Facebook page about the pastrami making? Uh, we'll try to put a video up. If not, we'll take a couple pictures and uh, we'll you know, put them up there so everybody can check it out. And where can we check it out? On Facebook. Check out our Facebook page. And what about at uh, baseball and bbq.weebly.com? That too. Okay. And you can also leave us a voicemail. Call us, 516-855-8214 or email us. Baseball and BBQ at gmail.com. So, Len, let's let's talk about the base, the barbecue expo, and we're going to hear from Sweet Heat. There's three E's in Sweet Heat. Yes, and this is Devon from Sweet Heat. Devon, I'm Leonard. This is Jeff. We're here. You you have Sweet Heat. You're at the barbecue expo. I see all these sauces and rubs. Talk to me. How do you get into the barbecue sauce and rub business? So this all started based off our barbecue catering business that I have. And um, all these sauces and rubs are used in our everyday cooking. So the customers really enjoyed it. So we tried to spin it off as a separate company. And that's why we have these sauces and rubs. Ah, so you got a catering business. Okay, out of where? Philadelphia. Philadelphia, okay. Are you a Philly fan? Um, I'm a transplant. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to ask you about Bryce Harper. <laughs> we could combine baseball and BBQ. Right. <laughs> right. Transplant from where? I'm from Maryland. Okay. Okay. So how does? Okay. So you 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 used all this stuff in your catering business. Everybody said, "Oh, wow! You should bottle it. You should sell it." That's what you did. So how does somebody? Tell us about first. Tell us what kind of sauces you have because I see all different bottles. So today we have four um, barbecue sauces. One's a sweet St. Louis. That's more of a vinegar-based sauce. We have a spicy homie honey, which is thick, sweet with the molasses and the brown sugar. Then one of the crowd pleasers is this bacon barbecue brew. It's with coffee, cinnamon, um, bacon, cloves. So it's very, 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 very good. People like that. It's a crowd pleaser here um, at the Barbecue Expo. Right. And then we have the Kansas City Classic, which is more tomato-based. It's one of our milder sauces. And then we also have three rubs. One's a Southern Barbecue Brew. It's kind of sweet, but it's diverse. can be used on anything. And then we have the All-Purpose Rub, which is, can be used on anything. And then we have our Savory Seafood Spice. So we market it as a seafood rub, but it can be used on any um, type of meat or protein, protein or meat. If somebody wants to buy your sauces and rubs online, you have a website? We have a website. So you can find us at www.sweetheat.com. That's three E's in sweet. S-W-E-E-E-T, heat.com. Oh, wow. <laughs> Is that because it's very sweet or the other sweet was taken? <laughs> the other sweet was taken. We want to distinguish ourselves from the sweet heat. So. Right. They got more sweet. They got an extra E. There's more sweet and more heat. So the right, the right pronunciation is sweet heat. Right? <laughs> I love it. All right, now. You're in a catering business, yes. right? So, how does how did you start 
you catering business, and what are you using to make the uh, the food? What kind of smoker you, you make? You using a smoker? So I am using a smoker. Okay. So I got a smoker. I drove all the way down to Houston, Texas, to get a smoker, custom made, custom ah. trailer smoker built. So it has two smokers on it, it as a grill, and it has tables. So it's a, nice. an event that I, things I can carry around to do particular private events. So uh, what what company did you get it that is, from? Uh, pit pit maker. Okay. So. All right. So it's a smoker and a grill. Yes. Okay. So is it offset? It um, it's it's vertical. Okay. It's a vertical, vertical. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. But, okay. But, but I practice on a Weber. So uh, Weber what? Uh, the Smoky Mountain. That's that's yeah, what I Smoky have. Smoky Mountain. I, yeah. I have a Smoky Mountain. Um, love it. Yes. Right. I, I love it. I got um, two of them: the the twenty two and the eighteen. Right. Yeah, I have the eighteen, and and sometimes I wish I had the twenty two, but sometimes I'm glad that I just yeah. have the eighteen. You know when I'm glad, I'm really glad I have the 18, is when I have to empty all the ash out yes. and I have to lift it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The 18 is like, you feel like you can, like, you right. lift it up like light, light weights with the 18. Yeah. I saw the 22 the other day and I thought, wow, I, I, I can't imagine emptying that. Yeah. I like that 22 because you smoke the ribs, you can, like, lay them flat. Right. Whereas if the, um, on the 18, you have to do, like, the pinwheel. Right. Now, you ever cook on a pit barrel? No, I have not, but I have been looking into that to get okay. one, but I have to kind of run it past the wife to buy any more barbecue <laughs> equipment for the house. I, I, <laughs> well, you know what? It's a business expense. Yes. You're right. It's a business. You yeah. need it. Right. You need it for the business. Uh, sorry, I, I can make more money with this or something. You could spin yeah. it. Do you have a pit barrel? I, we do. We do actually have? had, yeah, we, we have, um, we had Noah Glanville on from Pit Barrel okay. Cookers, and uh, we do. We have, uh, we have pit barrels, and... Uh, it makes really good ribs. Yeah. Really, you get just the hang and then, yeah. yeah, you hang it down. So, um, but yeah, love, love the, the you know winter time doesn't stop us. No, yeah. Now, how how is winter time for the catering business? It is somewhat slow, a little bit, but I partner with um, other organizations so I can actually do catering or provide food in the winter time for certain businesses. Now, what's your specialty? If I said to you, you know, give me the best food, you know, what what's your number one item? I would say from the meat, it would be the brisket. Okay. And then as a side is the mac and cheese because we smoke the mac and cheese and oh. we use five different cheeses. And, oh. and then our homemade cornbread is good, too. Oh. So. Sounds delicious. Yeah, sounds delicious. Where is some? I'm getting hungry now. <laughs> That's what you need to have here. You'd be selling that, I should like have brought, you could, Yeah, because you could have the cornbread and pour the barbecue oh. sauce on top of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Next yeah. time. So brisket. Now, how many hours are you making that brisket for? How many hours does it take you? It's taking me up to like ten to twelve hours, depending on the size. So, so when you do catering, you start it at home, or you you, and then you bring it, or how how do you work that? So, with the on catering, we are smoking the meat ahead of time, and then coming to the event and just having it already heated on the smoker. So, but we'll do like chicken on site because that doesn't take that long to smoke, um, and we'll like do fried like chicken wings and things like that, and, and fish. And how far will you travel? We have traveled to upstate New York. That's as far as we've gone. So, okay. All right, so if somebody wants catering, they... So if they want to go to catering, you go to streetsidebarbecue.com. And that's the barbecue with the C-U-E at the end. Guys, listeners, you want to use him. <laughs> Believe me, you, you really will be very pleased. I can tell right away, and I haven't even tried his food, but I just have, <laughs> I just have a good feeling about him. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank we you. appreciate Thank it. Thank you. It's nice meeting nice you. Meeting you too. Thank you. Thank you. We're at the Barbecue Expo, and we're talking to Tom from Southern Pride, and uh, we're looking at uh, some pellet grills. And Tom, tell us what we're looking at here. I see. I see the. You're Daniel looking Boone. at the. Uh, you're looking at the, at the uh, Green Mountain. You're looking at the Daniel Boone with a Wi-Fi setup. So, this is a pellet smoker. Um, great for a backyard guy. Uh, you can load the box, the hopper over there. It'll hold about uh, 30 pounds of pellets. Right. And it'll get you probably about eight, nine good hours of cooking time where you don't have to touch it. And you can run everything from your telephone. Now, the, the, the Daniel Boone, uh, is there a pizza insert for this? Yeah, they do make a pizza oven for that, yes. Yep. Uh, it's independent of the smoker itself. It sits on the rack, and it actually sits in the center. And uh, and that's where it's drawing its heat source from. The way that they have that thing configured with the air sprockets on the side, it'll actually get up to about 750, that pizza oven, to do pizzas in this thing here by itself will run about 550 degrees, so you can grill a steak or something on it. Pellet grills are becoming huge. Why do you oh, think yeah. so? Because they're easy. Very easy. Easy to maintain, easy to keep clean, and anybody can run it. You know, you can set it, and the wife can actually control it. You know, it's one of those deals. So, you get your date coming home from work, she can go out there and turn the thing on. It's not a big deal. Right. Yeah. 
when it runs on, you're pushing the electricity to current to the to the uh, smoker. Yeah, it's just got to be. It just has to be plugged in. Yeah, just regular regular wall current. And uh, this is the this is the box over here. You fill this up with the pellets. This is your drain goes on the other side. So you fill this with pellets, and it has an auger down here in the bottom, and that feeds it into a box. And uh, once they're lit, they're they're lit with an um, uh, electronic heat heat element. And uh, once they get lit, then it's got a fan that blows across it that keeps it lit, keeps them lit. Yeah, that's what's doing the cooking. How is it to clean the uh, the unit? The uh, racks and stuff. What I do is I take my racks. I have a utility tub. I just take them and clean them up in the utility tub, spray them down with a little oven cleaner, and because these are stainless, and just clean them off, and then you're ready to go again. Inside of the smoker, you can actually use um, oven cleaner on the inside also, and just hose it down. Now, there's a lot of, uh, there, there's different t- brands of pellet grills. Yeah. So, what's what's the thing you want to look for in a pellet grill uh, that makes... All right, so there's a lot of copies out there now, okay? Right. Um, Green Mountain, Traeger... Uh, Yoders, they're all high end. They've been around a long time. They have good controls, stuff like that. There's a lot of knockoffs coming in from China. You're seeing them in the Home Depots and the Lowe's and stuff like right. that. Really, you got to be careful because you don't want it to jam up, and that's usually what happens. They usually use a cheaper auger, and then uh, the uh, the pellets and stuff get jammed up in them, and you lose half your cook. You know. And what about insulation too? Nothing to it. Yeah, you just this guy actually comes in a in a box. And you can have it together in about 20 minutes. Okay. Legs go on, a couple screws, and that's it. And the... Uh, they, make, they make a cover, so you can cover it up if you have it out on your deck. You don't have anything over top of it. Uh, it's all on wheels, so you can, it rolls around real easy. And this is... Uh, what, what is this? Uh, steel? Or oh, yeah. It's all steel, yep. Yeah, and it's thick. Yeah. So that's where you're keeping the heat in. So these cheaper ones, the, the, yeah, the ones you're talking about, they're... they're you're not going to have as much heat because uh, they're real or, thin. Yeah, they're real thin. This one's nice and thick. Yep. And that's one of the things that you got to look for, right? Yeah. Well, that's like I said, the Green Mountain's got a good name. They've been out a long time. Yeah. Uh, How long have they been around? I think I think Green Mountain's been around 12 years. Okay. For for pellet smokers, that's a pretty long time. Right. That's you know. Good. Yeah. And they make different sizes, right? Yeah. This yeah. This is Daniel Boone. We have Jim Bowie back here, um, which is huge compared to this one. I mean, it's almost double wow. the space. Almost you know? double. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then there's a smaller one, right? Right. There's a little uh, tailgater, they call it. That's a real small guy. You can, it folds up and goes in your trunk of your car. Is that the Davy Crockett? Is there one called no, the Davy Crockett? Yeah. Or? That, yeah. That, let me think about that a minute. No. What's, no. No. It's, uh, Billy, Tuck, do you know what the uh, little portable Dana Boone's called? What's the name of that one? That is the Davy Crockett. It is the Davy Crockett. Okay. Sorry about that. That's okay. Yeah. That's all right. Uh, can we talk to you about these smokers next door here? All right, now you're going into the big dollar stuff. Sure. Yeah. Well, All right, so these are commercial smokers. Okay. This is what you're going to see in the restaurants. Okay, great. And this is the Cadillac of them. This is a Southern Pride. Uh-huh. These are the best uh, uh, commercial smokers that they make. You know, top-of-the-line stuff here. Wow. So, yeah. So how, how does this work? All right, so this is a 200-pound chip smoker. It's all electric. Just for guys that don't have a lot of hood space in their restaurants. Or they don't have gas, you know. So they'll switch over. This is a 200-pound smoker. It has a double chip box there on the bottom that you fill up with wood chips. Uh-huh. It'll give you four good hours of smoke time, which is plenty for you're doing uh, uh, any kind of muscle meat. That's plenty of time to get the crust on there and get a, you know plenty of smoke penetration. Gives you a great smoke ring. Real easy to keep clean. It's all stainless inside now. Feel, feel heat. Yeah. Sure. Well, yeah, we're doing it for using reheat for now. Right. So this has a digital cooking hole. So... Let's say you're doing your butts and briskets overnight, and they cook for 12 hours. You leave at 8 o'clock at night. You come in in the morning at 10. These are already done and sitting in the hold mode. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, so you only need a certain amount of smoke on the uh, the meat because once the meat gets to a certain Once it gets a crust on it, you're done. Yeah. You're not going to get any more smoke right, out so it'll keep cooking, but you're just yeah. not getting more smoke out yeah. of it. Right. So, yeah, so this is an electric smoker. We move over to this one here. Now, this is a log burner, okay? This is, this is it fire up a gas, has a gas burner in here. Okay. Okay, so the, when you set the temperature, the burner will come on, shoots a flame across the log. Once it comes up to temp, the burner shuts off, and the log smolders. And it has a big convection fan in here. It's pulling all the heat and smoke up through here, and then blows it down across the bottom of the smoker and then sideways across your food. Wow. So, yeah, it's really awesome. Yeah. Also for restaurants. This is, yeah, this is definitely a restaurant. Or a big family. A big, big family, <laughs> yeah. Yep. 
Uh, this all comes apart and goes in your dish room for cleaning. So it's compartment. It's very, very easy to maintain. Wow. This is the biggest piece inside the smoker right here. How big is the cooking area here? This will do 400 pounds of pork. Wow. Yeah. You can do um, 107 racks of ribs. Wow. Yeah, if you're using rib yeah, racks. So that's basically dinner at my house. Yeah, exactly. yeah there you go. <laughs> and he'll have 106 of racks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, this is really, really nice. Yeah, this is uh, it, it's pretty awesome. Now we move into this. This is a catering oh, model. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So this will hold a thousand pounds of meat. So a thousand pounds of pork. Uh, this is a 700 with 18 inch racks. Yeah, yeah, rotisserie around it. Firebox on the side, same principle as the other one. Burner comes on, cross the logs, log smolder, smoke the food. Yeah, got a convection oven or convection fan in the back. See it in there? Yep, I see that. So, and that's where the, the firebox is below, right below that. So it's pulling that heat and smoke up and blowing it right across your food as your food's rotating through it. Wow. Yeah. How about that one? One of these? I would like one. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what kind of discount I can get. Oh, we can hook you up. We got a real show special here. Yeah. It would have to be, I don't even think 90% off I could get this yeah. one. This is beautiful, though. Beautiful. Yeah. Wow. And it's for you for catering, right? Yeah, this is for catering, yeah. Okay, well. Yeah, this has a convection oven on the front. You do your sides in the convection oven. You do your meats and stuff in the cooker. Right. Yeah. Yeah, this is beautiful. So they, they bring this to someone's home. Yeah. On the back of the truck. Yes, exactly. Yeah, oh. usually on something this big, this isn't really going to somebody's home. This is going to an event like this. Oh. You know, where we're cooking and selling to the public. Out of curiosity. Thirty grand. Thirty grand. Show special. Okay. It's thirty-nine thousand dollars. Thirty thousand for a show special. Wow. Yeah. See, sorry guys, you're not at the show, so <laughs> you got to pay full price. That's all. And how can people get in touch with you if they wanted to check out your? your they can go on the. They can go on the website at. Uh, um, southernpride.com or smokingdudesbbq.com that will get me directly oh great yeah okay yep thank you very much all right guys thanks for stopping by thank appreciate you very it. much all right wow that that was such a great day a lot of great interviews from that barbecue expo i hope that i think that was the first year and i hope it expands and and it gets better every year that they'll continue to have that because it was a really great day yes it did i did enjoy it as i did the uh, jackie robinson exhibit yeah. So now, Jeff, there's something we haven't done in a while, and I think it's time for a baseball rant. Yes. Len, I have a rant, but I need your help. Yes. Len, I want you to read this email I got. Just read the subject line, please. Just the subject line. Want to meet Mariano Rivera for free? That is an email that I've gotten for the last couple of days. It's from Steiner Sports. They said, you want to meet Mario Ferreira for free. Well, I look at him, I'm interested. I go, okay, how do you do that? Well, for only $700, I'm sorry, $699.99, you get two Yankee alumni photos, two autographed MLB baseballs from a member of the 2019 Yankees, and it might be, you know, the guy number 25 on, on the squad, one randomly selected New York Yankees game used baseball, one randomly selected New York Yankees game used base, one Mariano Rivera autographed Major League Baseball, and remember, for $699.99, you get free admission for two people to attend a Hall of Fame evening with Mariano Rivera on Thursday, April 18th. Now, Len, for only $700, it's free to meet him. How is that free? Would somebody please explain to me how $700 and you, you get a free admission to something? I don't understand that. Could somebody please tell me this? Len, please help me out here. <laughs> I, I'm, I can't. I don't know. Uh, to me, $700, not free. So I don't, wrote don't the, get it. I forwarded that to Phil Mushnick, a writer for the New York Post. And he wrote back. Ah, if it would any more free, you'd go broke. Steiner is a ripoff partner of the Yankees. So, I, I, I just, I was so pissed off of, of seeing that. How can I even, how can I, how can I even be legal? You know, it's like a bait and switch. Not even bait and switch. It's, out, it's an outright lie. Help me out here. What are you, speechless? I am totally speechless. <coughs> $700 is not free. That's all. And and what I love though is also then it says it's a twelve hundred dollar value. Yes, right. So really, 
your free that you're paying $700 for, you're actually getting $500 off. I mean, you're saving money. Yes, you are. <laughs> what a what a bargain. What a bargain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that is my rant for today. Len, we will be uh, recording next in a couple of weeks. We'll get back to our regular scheduled programming. We have not been on the road lately. <laughs> right. So we'll talk about a little more Hall of Famer. We'll do a uh, you know, Hall of Fame year in an ordinary career. There are so many different things that we could be doing. Um, there is a baseball season going on. It's oh, yeah, let's early. Talk, let's talk about that uh, while we have a few more minutes. Okay. What do you think? Seattle Mariners have uh, been surprised. Huge surprise. They yeah. made they made the trade with the Mets. They got rid of Robinson Cano. And, of course, uh, their, their reliever. Uh, uh, Evan D- Diaz. Right, Diaz. And they're doing incredibly. Uh, I don't even think the players that the Mets traded – the prime ones in that deal. Oh, Jay Bruce. No, yeah, he actually yeah, has a lot no, of home runs. Jay Bruce is, yeah, he's hitting for a low average, low but average, he has but a lot of home, home runs. runs. Right. But the, 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 um, Anthony Squazak is doing pretty well. Right. Yeah. But the two, uh, the, the yeah, minor leagues. minor leagues, they haven't come up yet. No, they haven't. So, and, uh, but another surprise is the Boston Red Sox. How they, bad they're doing. They, exactly. How bad they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, and the Yankees, of course, are not doing that great either. No, but a little better than the Red Sox. Right, they've been bit by the injury bug, yep. which is usually usually doesn't affect the Yankees. You don't usually see that, but no, they've, they, they've got everybody's on the disabled yeah, list. Yeah, they usually outspend people. I mean, CC just had a good game yesterday for them, right? He came right. back. But now Gary Sanchez went on the uh, DL, right? Or IL, I should say. Right, right. And, correct here. And who else? Uh, um, Severino is right. on the IL. You have Hicks on the IL, Andrew on the IL, Tulowitzki on the IL. So they're hurting. They're hurting. But you, they usually outspend them uh, to, to uh, overcome that. But so far, they're just struggling in the early part of the season. But what I don't understand, please tell me this, is you've got a pitcher who has not been signed yet, uh, Dallas uh, Keuchel. Keuchel, yeah. Right? What is going on? Why hasn't he been signed? Because he wants – I read that he's, he'll, he's willing to take a one-year deal now, but for the – Least amount would be a seventeen point nine million dollar qualifying offer, so he's not going to take anything below that. And okay. you know what? He, he might not be worth that. So it's a matter of you know, I guess swallowing his pride, taking less money, or you know, holding out for more money. Well, one of these teams is going to make a move on him. Uh, I'm surprised the Yankees haven't signed him because uh, these teams they need starting pitching. Yeah, they do. I, I saw a column in the paper uh, in the Post. I think it was Ken Davidoff wrote the Mets should release Jason Vargas and sign Keiko. Yeah, but Keiko wouldn't be ready for another month anyway. Right. He needs his spring training. So you right. won't see him till beginning of June. Right. So And they're not gonna do that. He's Jason Vargas is making eight million this year, so they'd have to lose that money and then get and then pay the money that Keiko's looking for. Right. That's not gonna happen. Not happening. But I would think the Yankees would do it. The Yankees are really in need of starting pitching. They are. They are. They, pa- Paxton has not been doing well. Sevy's out for who knows how long. And I don't know if that CC Sabathia is going to uh, be he, able to the whole season. He's a five inning pitcher now. I right. actually consider him an opener at this point. I mean, he'll just pitch a couple of innings and be done with it. Yeah. Well, well what else? Uh, what else? Is, uh, um, anything amazes you about uh, the beginning of the season, or you find interesting? Well, or? It just it looks like National League East is going to be really cramped for for this, at least for the foreseeable future. I mean, they're all within a game or two of each other. No one has really separated themselves out except for the Marlins, who are dead last. Right. I hope the people down in the, down in Florida, in, in Miami, are you know enjoying the baseball stadium experience. Yes, yes, the the stadium experience. I'm sure they are. I'm sure, they're <laughs> loving it. Well, Len. Until next time. Until next time. We'll see you later. Bye. Jackie hit that ball.
Glad your page is mellow, so is Caponello. New come and dope it too. But it's a natural fact when Jackie comes to bat, the other team is through. Did you see Jackie Robinson hit that ball? Did he hit it? Yes, and that ain't all. He's so old. Yes, yes, Jackie's real gone. Jack is real gone.